All right. Um, let's begin. Uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, uh, we're so thankful that we can gather together and think through your thoughts in the Bible about this great task of parenting. Pray that you, there will be wisdom, there will be grace, um, there will be empowerment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, this is the first of two parenting seminars. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to give a briefish, uh, 15-minute introductory talk. Uh, I can't guarantee it'll be 15 minutes, but something in that ballpark. And then we're going to have a parent panel, and then we're going to um, hear their stories and experiences. And so I'm really excited. And then we're going to focus today on teaching the faith to our children. And then next week, we're going to talk about uh, how to provide discipline and guidance to our kids. All right, so um, you can follow along in, in the outline. Um, let, me re- let me start by reading to you two passages. First, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach diligently to your children, and you shall teach them when, they, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, what is it that we are doing in parenting? And in order to answer that question, we have to ask a more fundamental question, which is, what is the mission of parenting? What is it that we're trying to accomplish when we're parenting, right? What's the um, end goal that we're trying to achieve? What's the, 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 the destination? If we don't know the destination, then how are we going to go on the journey, right? If we don't know the goal that we're trying to reach, then um, our parenting is going to be haphazard and um, directionless. And the Bible says, here's the answer, the Bible says that the mission of parenting is that we are to raise up our children in uh, to know the love of God in Christ. Okay, So that's the mission. We are to raise up our children so that they know the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And if that's your goal, that's going to organize and structure everything that you do in parenting. It's going to um, structure your energies and your priorities. Um, because as parents, we all have dreams for our kids. Right? We want our kids to do well in school and then to go to a good college. And then that opens up doors of opportunity so that they can have a good job. We want our kids to excel in sports and music. We want them to have many friends. We want them to have a rich social life. We want our kids to get married, have a family, give us grandchildren. Right? These are all the markers of success in conventional life. And these are all good things. And it's natural and it's right to want these things for our children. But what I want to say is that they are secondary to the main thing. What's the main thing? The main thing that we should want and desire for our children is that they know Christ that they love Him, and they obey Him. And if that's the main thing, that's going to 
um, structure and it's going to be the controlling paradigm of our parenting. A lot of parents say, you know, I would like my children to be believers. Um, a lot of parents say, you know, I want my children to go to church, to grow up in the church. I want them to read the Bible, to, to believe in God, to obey the Ten Commandments. But they want these things not as the indispensable, essential thing. They want that, they, they want that as the extra thing in life. As the, as one ingredient in the total package of a good life. And then they become shocked and surprised when their children leave the faith and leave the church. And so what's my point? My point is that every parent knows this. Every parent knows that your time is so limited. You only have a limited capacity to teach your children. You can't do everything that you want to do. I feel this all the time. I want to do so much with my children, but I have limited time and limited energy. So every day, I have to pick and choose what is the most valuable thing. And so here's the question for you. What is the non-negotiable in your family? Is it school? Is it sports? Is it family entertainment? What is the thing that you absolutely, under no circumstances, will you compromise on? Will you restructure everything else, but that cannot move? That cannot be the, that's the pillar of your life. And so, a lot of parents say, you know, I do want my children to be Christians. And so they ask, you know, what's the technique? What are the resources or what are the activities that I should be doing? And we are going to give a lot of uh, practical guidance at the end, especially in the parents' panel. But the point I want to make is that there is no technique, ultimately. Ultimately, godly parenting is about priorities and it's about your passion. And if it's your passion to teach your children about Christ, if that's your highest priority, then listen to me. It ultimately really doesn't matter specifically what you do. You can do it awkwardly. You can make mistakes. You could fumble around. But your children, who are incredibly observant, your children will know this is the most important thing in this family. They will pick up on your value. They will observe it. And this is why in the Bible it says that parenting is a test of faith. It's a test of faith. If you read the Old Testament, one of the main charges of the prophets against the people of Israel is that they fail to teach their children. And it's kind of incredible because you have uh, the parents of Israel, and just like us, just like modern parents, their lives were busy. Their lives were full of many activities, many things to do. And because they ultimately didn't love God, they didn't teach their children about Him, and it fell to the wayside as they were focused on so many other things. And so the Bible says, how you raise your children reveals your heart. It reveals who is your true Lord. Now, um, one kind of question or one retort to this is people say, well, isn't it true that there's no guarantee that your children will become Christians, right? There's no formula. There's no way that you can absolutely guarantee 
that if you do these things, your children will, will believe uh, will believe in Christ. And my answer to that is, that's true. Um, you can be godly parents who do everything right, and then your children in the end will become ungodly. And the converse is true. You could be an ungodly parent, absolutely negligent, absolutely uh, uh, um, unmindful, and then in the end you raise up these godly children who love the Lord. And the reason is because God is sovereign. You cannot control your children. You don't. You can't control their hearts. But that's no excuse not to do the right thing. And here I want to focus on the ordinary means of how people become Christians. So let me give you an example. The ordinary means of passing a test is that you study for it and prepare for it. Now it is the case that some people don't study and they still pass. And it is the case that some people um, study and they don't pass. But just because there are exceptions to the rule, that doesn't mean you have an important test coming up and you don't study or prepare. So there are ordinary means, right? And let me also encourage you with some bit of sociology, which is there's something called the 414 window. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Um, the 414 window has been identified by sociologists, by uh, psychologists. Um, what, and what they did is they did a series of surveys of adult Christians, adult believers, and they asked them, when did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Right? What was the critical uh, uh, period of your life or what was the, the, the stage in your life? And according to those studies, 63% of adult believers came to know Christ between the ages of 4 and 14 years old. So that has been identified as the crucial, crucial window of teachability and tenderness of heart. And that's absolutely true, right? If you have children between the ages of 4 and 14, you know they have this hunger for instruction. They're eager to hear. They're eager to learn. And let me also say that even for the children who do leave the church, what they found is that one of the most important criteria for whether they ultimately return to the church and return to their faith is the emotional impression that they have of God and the church that was formed in them between the ages of 4 and 14. So this is a critical period. One article I was reading, one sociologist said that basically there's a deep stickiness to this 414 window so that what you believe at age 13 is basically what you're going to end up believing for the rest of your life until you die um, for the most part. And I want to say here that the Bible describes this as this pattern of generational faith. So one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go and then even when he is old he will not depart from it. That's not a guarantee. That's not a, that's not a um, 100% correspondence, but that's the normal pattern of God's providence. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's the normal rhythm of Scripture. Or look at, consider, for example, the example of uh, Timothy. Right In uh, 2 Timothy 1.5, uh, Paul commends how Timothy became a believer. How did Timothy become a believer? He says, through his mother Eunice, grandmother Lois, passed down these devout, godly women passing down the faith and that Timothy received it as a child. Let me also say this. This is happening whether you teach your children or not. If you don't teach your children, then the culture will teach your children. 
right, inside of, in that void and absence of spiritual teaching, the culture through movies, through music, through school, they are glad to teach your children about who God is, what is His nature and character, how do we relate to Him. If you neglect it, the culture will be doing it. Do you want our culture, our, the world to do that so that there is no neutrality, there's no such thing as no religion and then they'll decide when they grow up. That is a, that is a, a myth. They're constantly learning. They're constantly being indoctrinated. And the question is, will you do it or will you let school or their, their peers or culture do it? All right, let me um, make four comments, four notes, and then I'm going to close. Number one, I want you to look at um, Ephesians 6.4. I want you to notice that the address... Paul makes is to fathers. Um, a lot of people in response to that say, oh, that's because the Bible is just reflecting the sexism of the ancient world. Um, absolutely not. Totally not true. Okay, If you read the Bible, you understand that fathers are given the role of headship of their families. And so in the Bible, fathers have the primary, listen to me, and lead role in parenting. Fathers have the primary and lead role in parenting. I think that is incredibly beautiful and countercultural in this world because despite the kind of superficial egalitarianism and feminism of our culture, it is still the overwhelming consensus that it is the mothers, the women who are responsible for nurture and instruction and parenting of their children. And the fathers are the providers, but they're, they don't, they're not expected to fully participate in parenting. But the Bible says no. The Bible says fathers and mothers are full partners and the primary responsibility of parenting falls on the fathers. So this is, I think, a, a strong and sharp rebuke to our culture to the negligence and disinterest of fathers. I'm not saying, by the way, that the fathers have to spend equal time with the mothers in childcare. Of course, in many families, depending on their arrangement, there are stay-at-home moms, there are homeschooling moms, you know, um, and so it's not necessarily equal time, depending on the arrangement, but it is the lead responsibility. Does that make sense? So the father should be the one initiating and leading in matters of spiritual instructions. They should not relegate it to the mothers and then sort of kick up their heels and come home and watch Netflix after work or something like that. So that's the first point. It's addressed to fathers. Number two, um, the church is a partner, not a replacement. A lot of people say, well, isn't this the church's job to instruct my children in the faith? And let me just say, that's ridiculous, okay? (laughs) Um, To do that one hour a week, so let me give you an illustration. My boys, Judah and Noah, we send them to jujitsu lessons. Okay, so they get, they basically get an hour of jujitsu lessons a week, and then they come home, and then they receive zero reinforcement, <laughs> no further instruction, no you know additional you know uh, uh, <laughs> training. And the reason is twofold. Number one, I know nothing about jujitsu. And in number two, I'm not particularly passionate about martial arts or sports. That's okay. You know, I accept that about myself. I, I own that about myself. But I'm still glad that they go. 
I am under no illusion that my children are going to grow up becoming jujitsu masters, that they're going to have some sort of mastery, some sort of deep expertise, deep knowledge of jujitsu. I send them there because they're going to get some physical training, you know, some modicum of self-defense abilities, and maybe in five years they will move up to yellow belt, right? <laughs> Listen to me. Do you think Christianity is less rich, less multi-layered, less complex and deep than jujitsu? It is not. And so it is impossible for the church one hour a week to impart a living, breathing, vital faith to the children. Um, impossible is too strong a word, but that's the ordinary means, okay? And I want you to see from Deuteronomy 6-7, let me read it again. You shall teach diligently to your children and you shall teach them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. What is this telling us? It's telling us that Parenting and instructing in the faith is an all-encompassing, whole-life enterprise. You can't just relegate and segment it to an hour per week. It has to occupy all of your, um, the, the whole tenor of your life, every aspect of your life, okay? Third point, let me offer a word of grace to the parents. Um, I think, um, you can, many parents can feel overwhelmed and inadequate for this task. And let me say that you're supposed to feel like that. Because God purposely designed parenting to be this incredible, enormous task that is, in the end, impossible to master. Because what is parenting? It's raising up a human being. A human being is the most complex, rich, multi-layered thing in this life. Far more complicated than a company or a nation. Um, And so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall short. And therefore, let parenting do its spiritual medicine on you. As you experience failures, you should fall on your knees and experience the grace and forgiveness of God and cry out for um, mercy and help. And let me also say that that attitude will help you to parent because no child wants to be parented by perfect parents who never make any mistakes. One of the most influential books that I read for me on parenting is Come Home, Barbara by Jack Miller. Jack Miller, renowned, famous pastor, and he had a daughter named Barbara who left the faith And then after many, many years away from the church, she came back and they co-wrote this book. And um, one of the, uh, in one of her chapters, I'll never forget it, she says one of the reasons why she left is she developed this deep resentment towards her father who was in every way the perfect person. He never made a mistake. All of his instructions was her failures, her her falling short of obedience and expectations. And she developed this deep resentment because it's this crushing burden. And so parents should be the first to repent, be quick to repent, fulsome in your repentance, repent before God and repent to your children. And when you do that, you're modeling to them what it means to be a Christian because being a Christian is lifelong repentance and you're modeling them humility. Okay, and a posture of humility. Finally, 
some practical advice. I have three. Uh, first one, super standard. Number one, read the Bible to your kids as part of your daily routine. Just your normal, everyday routine. For my family, we read the Bible together um, after, uh, during, a, we call it bedtime routine. They have to brush their teeth. They have to put on their pajamas. And after they do that, we have about an hour or so, sometimes it's less, of reading. Ten minutes of that. I, I, I commit to, the first thing is I commit to reading the Bible. I'll read one section or one story or two stories. And I'm not just straight reading it. I'm commenting on it along the way. I'm asking them questions about their comprehension. I'm seeing what they understand, what they're hearing. Um, I try to uh, excite their imagination, right? So we just read about the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I said, you know, imagine what it feels like to have your best friends falling asleep on you um, or imagine like they abandon you when you know the uh, the soldiers come to arrest you and so you're trying to help them to really understand the story um, you're commenting you're making and you're making daily you're making application to their life secondly I really commend this do Bible memorization with your kids your children have this ridiculous, almost superhuman capacity of Bible memorization and absorption. Um, And they don't necessarily fully understand what they're memorizing, but what you're doing is you're hiding the word in their heart that that will be their treasure for them for the rest of their life. Um, My family has been doing this for a long time. My kids have memorized fairly large sections of Scripture, all of Psalm 1, Psalm 23, all of First uh, Corinthians thirteen, um, and how do you do? You know, lengthy passages like Psalm twenty-three, super easy. You just memorize one verse a day or half a verse. That's it. Half a verse, you can get it down in less than a minute or maybe two minutes. And then the next day, you just make them recite the previous verse and then the next verse. And then the next day, the previous verse, the previous verse, and then this verse. And then you just break it up into sections. And then just three minutes a day, they can memorize enormous sections of Scripture. And then you talk about it. One of the things that um, I've done with my kids I love is I've taught them Proverbs. They know about 30 or so Proverbs. These are like incredible gems. They're like multi-layered, deep treasures. Um, And then you can use them in your parenting moments. Because... It's really hard to explain and impress the authority and weight and power the Scripture has on my boys. They know it's the Word of God. And so it's not just my Word. When I tell, when I cite to them Scripture, it has a deep effect on my boys. So let me just give you some of my favorite Proverbs that my boys have been memorizing. Good, good sense makes one slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Very useful. Um, one of the things I always tell my boys is, notice it says slow to anger. It doesn't say never be angry. It says, be angry, but be angry slowly, <laughs> thoughtfully, in a controlled manner, right? Um, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is just for a moment. These are incredible gems. God gave them to us to instruct our, our, our children. Number three, Talk about God every day as part of your normal conversation. So just, you have to show them how Christian faith works. And you have to show it to them in a way that's organic and natural. 
So let me just give some examples. Um, my eldest son, Judah, he has this uh, persistent fear of death. He has, he's afraid of his own death, but he's also afraid of the, his loved ones dying. And sometimes at night he can't sleep because he's, he's overcome with this fear. So to comfort him, we talk about God's vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Um, we talk about how Jesus defeated death on the cross. Um, we talk about how um, death is just this passageway, this dark tunnel that leads into this beautiful ballroom, you know? And so just going out in many, many different ways. Um, recently, uh, a friend of ours is getting a divorce. And um, so we're seeing this up close, and that has caused minor anxiety for my, my boys. And so I don't, uh, so I talk about, well, what is the Bible's understanding of marriage? It's one flesh union. Uh, Christine and I have made a promise not just to each other, but we made a promise to God. Um, so we talk about that. Um, we talk about how to forgive. How does God forgive us? He bears the cost. So that's how you forgive others. Um, so just every day, just little things, constantly find ways. And if that feels intimidating to you, then let that be a challenge to you to know your faith more deeply. The more you know your faith deeply, you can see how it applies and it's applicable to every aspect of your life, every aspect of your kid's life. So that's my talk, my uh, instructional talk. So let me call up the panel. The panelists, please bring a chair with you. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I'm going to... I'm going to... Uh, ask you guys questions. Where are my questions? Here they are. And then we want to record it. Several people have asked me, is there a recording? So we're going to do this a little bit awkwardly. You're going to pass this down and then and then as you give your answer. No, I will ask the questions, yeah. So Joe Kalsvik was supposed to be on this panel. But he texted me today saying, I'm so sick. I'm really sorry. He was really excited to be part of the panel. Um, so I asked Jeff Murray to step in at the last moment. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Julia Shirish, Jeff and Sarah Murray, Anna Yang. Um, and I told them, we're not setting you up as model parents but more as parents to share your experiences, share your stories. And it's a safe place to share both your successes but also your failures, right? Because we're all ultimately justified by Jesus Christ, not by our parenting. Um, if you're justified by your parenting, what a terrible mechanism to find your righteousness, right? These little sinners who are going to disappoint you. Um, so the first question I'm going to ask is, what does your daily and or weekly rhythm of instruction in Christ to your children look like? Um, and then if you could just share you know, some specificity to that. And so we'd all love to hear how you guys do it in your families. So I'm sorry to like pass this you know, in an awkward way, but pass it to Julia first. Hello, this is terrifying. <laughs> um, so my kids are nine and Corbin will be 12 tomorrow. Uh, so we've had some time to be parents. Uh, I think that we have 
I guess, the benefit of being homeschooled. So I homeschool my kids. Uh, so with that, I get to choose what I teach my kids. Uh, so every day, you know, we include Bible time uh, with the kids. Uh, it's also included in our curriculum that we choose. Uh, so we are incorporating it in our history, science. Uh, we have Bible time, um, even the co-op we're part of. Uh, that also is a Christian group of uh, families. And, uh, you know, we have, um, it's open discussion. So it's not something that's like put aside, but it's, uh, it's cherished, it's appreciated, and it's something that we can share openly. Uh, which is really great. So we have that opportunity to be able to do that daily. Um, And uh, we try to, um, yeah, we try to do a Bible study every day with school. Uh, So we're reading the scriptures together. We're praying together. Um, Now that the kids are older, we're having more discussions, things like that. Um, I think you just wanted kind of a brief summary. Yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) I can see how it is a huge weave it into your curriculum, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? So for us, we, um, our kids are in public school. We did homeschool for a little while, but now they're not. Um, so weekends and evenings is when I'm around, and I think that's when most of our instruction happens just because during the day the kids are at school or um, they have activities after school oftentimes. Um, so we... We have our evening, or we, we have dinner together typically if we can. Um, we do have a lot of like activities, sports that they do, and things like that. So sometimes it's a little tougher, but we try to protect that. And then we usually have a, a bedtime routine, also where um, I think we we really started it because when our kids were young, we just wanted them to get used to knowing like bedtime's coming. Um, and <laughs> settle down. Go we, to sleep. We need some time. It's a yeah. long lead up. Yeah. yeah. So, so with the younger ones, we we just do like a short, um, like one of the picture Bible Bibles. picture Bible type mm-hmm. things, um, and then we pray with them, and and usually I sing to them after they go to bed. Can I ask a follow-up question on that? Mm-hmm. So, so Julia and I, our families, our boys are relatively close in age, so mm-hmm. that. Um, you sort of shoot for the middle, right? <laughs> um, but you guys have a, a much wider range. Yeah. Is that a challenge, or how do you like? Do, are you able to do instruction at the same time to Emily and to Hannah? Yeah, not really well. Um, <laughs> or do you we, separate it? Like we've started doing Emily and Gabriel together, which is mm-hmm. the like the kind of thing that we used to do with the little kids. Um, but we. Up until just a few weeks or months ago, we were just doing, we would just put Gabriel down after singing to him, basically, and then um, have Emily with the others. And it, it's it's more difficult because she just doesn't have the attention span. Um, so, but yeah. yeah, well, and he definitely doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I I think it's good to have. So usually we put him down earlier anyway, so um, they enjoy going through it and like looking at pictures and things like that and he doesn't really get much yet but it's at least a start and so it's kind of the beginning of the routine I mean, and what I found is that even if they're, the comprehension level is relatively low just the rhythm of mm-hmm. doing it is, is helpful and yeah, yeah well and I feel like um, 
the other portion. So that's like the structured time, but the mm-hmm. unstructured time, like when the Bible talks about talk about your coming in your comings and your goings, and talk about the scripture on. Like I am always sharing stories with the kids um, about things, you know, times that I've lied, times that mm-hmm. I've made mistakes, times that I've hurt people's feelings intentionally because I was mad or unintentionally, and using those as stories and launching places to say, like, your behavior doesn't surprise me. Like, I expect this from you. And to, to try to make you perfect is to try to negate that we need God. Right. So like you are imperfect. Absolutely. What do we do moving forward? How do we make it like how do we make it right with God? How do we make it right with others? And so like even in the times where, you know, I give them time out, I'm like, okay, let's pray and make it right with God. Let's pray that now let's go make it right with others, because that's how God wants us to find forgiveness. Right. First with him, then with others. And so there's like this constant like every time out <laughs> you know you know in fact to, to the point where my youngest guy he's two almost three he'll be like mama i want to pray <laughs> and he's saying that because he wants to be done with his time out like let's be honest here <laughs> he is not repentant but he knows he's got to pray before he gets done with his time out right that's and, also why he likes to pray before meals yeah <laughs> well, let's pray so i can eat so i can yeah. eat you know <laughs> he's all about like you know task finisher so you know but it's it's one of those things where it's 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 there all the time, you know, and my daughter lied to us last night at dinner and I was like, whoa, 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 I'm just, we're just going to take a break from this. I don't want to hear that right now. I want you to think about that and we're going to talk about it later, you know, and then this morning I shared with her, I was like, you know, when I accidentally called 911, when they asked me what's my emergency, I was like, oh, my son called you. Total lie. Like, and I told my girls this story, like, to be comical. And I said, you know, I was surprised. I was afraid I was in trouble, and so I lied. Mm-hmm. And sometimes fear overwhelms you, and it makes you do things you didn't mean to do. Can you tell me the truth? Were you feeling afraid you were going to be in trouble? And she said yes, and she told me the truth. You know, so I feel like those stories where they normalize, like, hey, I am 40 years old, and I do that. I don't expect you at eight years old to not do that either, you know. So those are the kinds of ways we do it, like, in 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 the midst of our family. So mm-hmm. beyond the structured time. Great. Yeah. Awesome. I, I don't think I have anything else to add. <laughs> they do far more beyond and whatever than what I do. <laughs> so I have two boys. There are 17 and 16. So the way that I'm dealing my, with my sons right now is very different from the way that I dealt with them when they were young. Mm-hmm. Of course, I try to read with them when they were in preschool or whatever. But one thing that I, um, one thing that was kind of unique for me was that um, when they were in preschool, I started doing preschool at church. So I would teach them on Sundays, and that lesson will kind of last throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not just about Bible story. There's a lesson behind it. So I would try to teach them throughout the week. And I did that for about seven years. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it was more, I, I, I knew what the lesson was for that week. So it was easier for me to spot out those specific situations when they're going through to address it and to apply in their lives or help them understand how they should see the different situations. So I really didn't do like routines and things like that in my, yes, in my uh, raising up. Has what you've done with your boys changed over the years? Oh yeah, very different. Late teens almost. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I think it's the, the change started in junior high. So my expectation of them is no longer you obey me or listen to me. I had to respect them as a person. So definitely there's a lot of um, repenting going on when you become a parent. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I see my sin in my kids because that's their personality. So seeing it and how that hurts other people, I recognize how I hurt other people. So it made me repent a lot more about my sinfulness. But when they become teenagers, it's totally different game because they start questioning your values. They start like doubting why you're saying what you're saying. So I realize that I have to be really certain of what I'm saying before I tell my kids to do. So it was a lot of internal work for me to dig up what do I really believe? Is this really important to me? Before I tell my kids to go and read the Bible, how is it? How how much do I believe that reading the Bible is gonna it's important in my life? So I think for me it was more of okay, my priority, I want the kids to see that God is important to me. Sometimes I mean God is important to me more than they are to me. So how do I do that? I, I, I mean, it's just day to day. It's day to day, right? Really showing that my time and my resources are spent for God's work in some way. And do I say that, yeah, I'm doing it because I love God? No, I didn't say that. Whenever I spend time with other people or spend time at church, I don't say it, but, you know, my prayer is that they will learn. When they grow old enough to understand what it means to serve God, they will connect the dots later. So I didn't do much instruction. <laughs> it sounds like parenting has been um, a way to deepen your faith. Um, I think, you know, what you said about uh, teenagers really resonates with me. I mean, one of the things that I really liked about Paul Tripp's book on parenting, I share with you guys a lot of passages, but one of the things he says is that as your children age into their teen years, you no longer have the power of external controls, which for parents is rewards and punishments. And the reason why is because your children become more sophisticated. And so punishments, they just have more of a capacity to endure punishments. And, and you can't bribe them enough as they reach a certain age, right? What are you, you going to promise them, like a car, right? So, so the punishments and rewards diminish in value. And in the end, all that you have is moral persuasion and you have to win their hearts. So he says one of the things you have to do from the get-go you better start doing that now when they're younger, right? And so um, for, for my family, um, one of the things that is really a treasure for us is dinner time. So there's a statistic. I forgot what it exactly is, but I know it's greater than 50%. More than 50% of American families do not eat dinner together as a family. And when they do eat dinner as a family, they watch TV, right? So I think that's a huge lost opportunity our family, dinner time is a really great time. That's when we do Bible memorization, um, just five minutes. And then a lot of times we just share stories. I think I really like what you said, you know, sharing stories of your own life. And it, you're giving them like a script or you're giving them paradigms because they don't understand themselves, right? They have, they're just the swirl of confusion. Um, so you use your life as a kind of scaffolding for their own self-understanding. Here's my next question. What is the biggest challenge or obstacle in your life to teaching your children about Christ? What is, what's the biggest like difficulty that you face all the time? So let me ask Julia. Mm. Got it. No, <laughs> um, let's see here, which side? This, 
this side. Um, I think the biggest obstacle, I think, with parenting, um, let's see, the first one I put down was uh, just husband and wives. Uh, being together and being on the same page. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, we often have our own expectations of what we want parenting to be like, or we just have different backgrounds of how we were raised. Um, and we forget to talk about it with our spouses and see how we want to raise our kids. And, uh, you know, we say we want to raise them to be Christian, but what does that really look like? Um, so, I think sometimes I had expectations of what I wanted my husband to do, and, of course, he didn't understand that, or, um, you know, vice versa. Uh, so um, I think that it's just really important to come together and have those discussions. Um, it's a team effort. It is a team effort. Yeah. And, you know, kids can tell when the parents aren't on the same page, and they will use it. <laughs> you know, when they're younger, not so much. But when they start getting a little bit older, they really will. And, uh, you know, it's also important to know that, you know, we make mistakes. And there are times where um, I have a very strong-willed son. And there are times that, you know, I'm pretty calm with him. I've kind of learned, like, I just need to take a few breaths and I need to approach him in a different way. And my husband is not always the same. However, when I get to my limit, I know that I can tag team him mm -hmm. and say, I've had enough. I need to walk out and I need you to step in. Mm -hmm. And he's there and is like, okay. And he will. And that's really important because there will be times where you're like, I can't or I'm going to lose it. Mm -hmm. And that's normal. You know, you are a fallible person. You, uh, it's... It's just going to happen, and uh, it's it's good that you have a spouse that can step in, that can either be praying for you while you're in in the battle zone, or uh, you know when they're going in. So uh, that part I think is is an area that it's really important, and kids know when parents are also arguing, and uh, you know that makes them unsettled too. So I think that is as you know you come together and you make these decisions that they know like mom and dad have made this decision together mm -hmm. you know this is so our role it's like the prep work right before, yes yeah you, you present it to the children right yeah. and i remember early on um i actually have the book over there but um one of our churches that we're uh that we belong to in san diego uh they did like a parenting um bible study and I think that was good because it brought up a lot of questions that you kind of have about, like, um, the character of your kids or how you want to raise them. Um, just those conversations that you just don't normally have. You're just like, oh, we'll figure it out. It just happens naturally. But it doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't. You know, there's things that happen, and then you get frustrated, and, you know, you don't want those walls to go up. You want to have the open flow of communication because it really does matter. That's awesome. Thank you for being yeah. so honest. You're welcome. I think for us, uh, it's probably just all of the things that the kids are doing and that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, between them, yeah, busyness. So mm -hmm. just schedules. And and that's actually part of the reason that we, or one of the big reasons we decided to homeschool for a couple of years is because the kids were just like, it was such a full day. It was. It seemed kind of exhausting. 
Um, and we have we have signed them up for various activities and um, and we want them to have opportunities to do the things they enjoy. Uh, but finding time to make sure that we that we do have um, time as a family and activities and and prioritize things that we do together. So we really try to make it uh, a constant theme that we do things as a family together um, instead of just off all going our separate ways um, because I think that's just really important for building relationships within our family and our kids can so that we can build on that. Question. Mm -hmm. um, so like, I think one of the hallmarks or temptations of modern parenting is to over schedule your child mm -hmm. right? um, because because you're, you know you, you feel like you're engineering your child mm -hmm. right and you want to you know mod them up um. <laughs> <laughs> so is there is there to some degree do you have to basically turn down mm -hmm. or cancel certain things yeah. because it's crowding out time to provide spiritual instruction or um, yeah. family devotions mm -hmm. or just time to be family yeah. yeah yeah I think one of the big things so our kids have done various different sports but one of the big things that we've said no to which I mean it's different for each person but for us we've just said no traveling like mm -hmm. club team type things because so they do like a two three month season and then that sport is over and they, they've done a couple different ones but the time commitment and the travel and all that stuff um with the number of kids that we have, uh, it would just be too crazy. And we have seen that, like, as our older daughter is now getting into middle school and trying out for school teams, there's a cost to that. Like, some of the kids are just way better at certain sports. And so she's kind of gravitating towards sports where kids don't do a lot of travel. <laughs> um, so I... So there's different... So I, I do so think that there's... trade-offs. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't... I mean, there are certainly plenty of ways to to do travel sport and you know so different families have work it out differently but I think you do have to decide to do things and not to do things yeah, yeah. so I'd like to add just real quickly what I was going to say the biggest challenge for me parenting is is my my limitation my anger um like it's just a constant I wake up and usually within the first 30 minutes, there's at least one tantrum. You know, someone didn't get the breakfast they wanted or, you know, it wasn't the color bowl that they wanted, you know. And I'm, and, and I'm like, you can have that bowl, but that bowl's empty. So you want an empty bowl or you want the full bowl? Okay, go sit down. You know, like, uh, but it's just constant all day long. And it's different things from tantrums to, like, um, more teenage-related uh, things, you know, where they don't want to, it's the shirt and it's the, it's the, she took my yada yada and the, you know, and you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, so it's just constant, you know, and the, and, um, so by the time I get the kids off of school, like, I'm just like, oh Lord, I need you, you know, like, and it's, it's literally, I think of that song all the time. I need you every hour. Like I literally need you every hour. So it's just my anger, my limitation. And I have to find rest during my day at some time to really just pray and pray constantly. And I think that the days that are harder are the days that I'm not doing that. Like I'm just trying to just go, 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 go. And I haven't had a minute to like catch my breath and to, you know, just recenter myself in God's truth. So that's my struggle. So I think because I deal with teenagers, um, one of the barriers that I face is the culture. 
what they see and hear from their friends at school, yeah. I can't control. So a lot of times I would talk to them and say, hey, what happened at school? Nothing. How <laughs> was your class? Good. Anything happened? No. So those are the things that I get from my boys. I'm like, oh, that kind of builds up like an anxiety in me. Because who's your friend? Who did you talk to? And they give me names. Can you, you know, who are they like? But they won't tell me anything. So one thing that I tried to do was have them come to my house. Come to bring them home so I can see them and see how they react, how they behave. So one of the things that was really good for my second son is that he's into fishing. So my husband will take him fishing all the time, whenever he wants to go. And a lot of times he will bring his friend along, right, to fish together. And that's the time that my husband will see the behavior of the other person or try to, you know, kind of bring them together, teach them some values that we have to the other um, the friend as well. So one thing that I tried to do was bring their friends home. And the other thing was to talk to other parents. Um, I really believe that it takes a village to raise a child, so I can't do it on my own. So I usually will talk to other parents of the same age or of their friends to find a, kind of figure out what's going on in school, what do they hear. And when they got older, I would ask straight to my son's friend, hey, what's going on with my son? So, of course, he doesn't say anything, but I'll just kind of, you know, check in with his friends as well, I'm asking. So, you know, try to gather some information because I really don't know what's going on outside. Do you have a question? Yeah, I have a question. Yeah. So, it sounds like both your sons are in public school. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't. The context is like my sister-in-law is has a, a th- we have a three-year-old nephew, and I guess she's like terrified of sending him to public school because of all the things that he'll learn. Um, mm. And she's, I, I, I think she's freaking out a little bit and wants mm. to like just homeschool him for forever. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I haven't. I guess mm. I, I'm leaning more towards public school, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like I, I don't know how. Well, oh, can I can I interject there mm-hmm. with one thought? I don't know if my thought is worth recording. Um, so let me say this carefully, right? But I think some of the anxiety there is misplaced because the I believe some of the assumption behind that anxiety is that the greatest threat to your child is outside of them. But actually, the greatest problem, the greatest challenge is inside their own hearts. So, yes, absolutely, your friends, peers, environment influence you 100%. And there are very good and valid reasons to do homeschooling, to do Christian private school, and so forth. But I wouldn't let fear drive you because ultimately, it's their hearts that is the greatest challenge and what will destroy them. (laughs) Right? And so you should be teaching to their hearts in any setting, they could be just as lost in a private Christian school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a homeschooler. I have four kids that only homeschool. I was homeschooled. I married a homeschooler. <laughs> <laughs> you can't escape the scary stuff, right? So the, I think I think this thing of like the real boogeyman mm-hmm. is actually sin nature, right? And that's mm-hmm. just as much in you, and it's just as much in your kid as mm-hmm. it is in the broken humans around us. Just like broken parenting, that drives you back to God. It's a window. Mm-hmm. Instead of hiding from it and being afraid of it, 
need to walk towards that with God's faith yeah. as our we, backing and our shield. We would really like our kids to experience yes. things while they're in our home and under our influence and we can help them make sense of it and instruct them and, yes. and teach them. Like at Creekside, there was a lesbian wedding. Like, like, come on. Two sixth graders. Yeah. People brought yeah. presents. They so dressed up. Or so sixth graders got real. married? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. Two, two female sixth graders. Yeah. They decided that they were going to get married. And so we talked about that. And it was a lot more real than going to Sunday school and hearing about homosexuality for three weeks. They had heard that and they had heard some of the ideas in it, but then they didn't know how to like apply them and and so we were able to discuss it. So we, we want them to to experience things that they're going to experience later, but just allow them to process it and understand. Sure. I mean, measure, right? I mean, you, you don't want them to experience drugs. You don't want them to experience teen pregnancy. Yeah. <laughs> but we do talk about drugs and teen pregnancy. Yeah, of course, yeah. But you might want them to see it. Yeah. yeah, not, yeah. Maybe they don't have to live Let me. I want to ask oh, one question. I, a question. I do want to ask about that being like in, in the world, not of the world, etc. But um, I remember Sarah's question, last question from the last homosexuality lesson. I was like, yes, I want to know. Um, just like when, when things come up like that, like uh, lesbian, like marriage, and then invitations, do you go? Do you give presents? And then you talk about it at home and say, hey, we disagree, but we're going to participate. Like, how? Time is up, so. <laughs> it's not me. I hate the time. I hate the time. All right. Let me a- let me ask because I did want to ask this one question. A, 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 a one sentence answer. What is your favorite resource to recommend? So let me just go real quickly. Uh, the Bible. <laughs> okay, super pious answer. Second favorite resource. Uh, come back to me. Okay. Uh, so there's a, one sentence. Okay. So we've been reading the Whole Brain Child, which has been really helpful. Uh, it has a lot of practical advice about like this thing is. Yeah. Okay. So that was one. The sentence. caveat is not Christian, right? Yes. But you can apply it Christian. So since he said that one, I would say the big picture storybook Bible with the devotion that goes with it. It's great. It's great. 
So I'll go with a theme of it takes a community to raise a child. So my the best resources were other believers, other parents mm. within the faith who believe in the same values, yeah. who believe in the same, who have the same conviction, and they're raising children together. Community. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, back to Julia. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so I completely agree about having other parents, teachers, and friends that uh, can help you along to be the uh, support system. Uh, I also really liked uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Um, that was one book. That's also by Tripp. Um, that was one of the first books that were introduced to me uh, when I became a parent. And uh, it just... I did not grow up in a Christian home, and all I knew is that I really wanted my home to look completely different, and I wanted God to be in the center. And uh, so this was a good book that really just brought it together. Awesome, great. My recommendation is Parenting by Paul David Tripp. Hands down, in my opinion, the best book. My copy is dog-eared, note, notes everywhere. <laughs> it's amazing, so I highly, highly recommend it. Let me close this session with a word of prayer. Almighty God, we give you this time. We recognize the enormous, impossible task of parenting. So we ask for your grace and help. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.